0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation that was so big, so weighty, that words failed you. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Maybe, maybe you couldn't find any words at all. Or maybe you were able to find some words but they weren't the right ones and they certainly didn't capture and accurately describe your feelings at the time. So maybe it was a, a pressure-filled moment. Like in an important job interview or asking someone out on a date I remember, in fact, I was just talking with someone about this recently, Um, I was reminiscing about what it was like to call a girl before cell phones existed. Can you imagine? Some of you were like, yes, I I can imagine because I did that. (laughs) Here's here's what would happen. You would pick up your phone, which was inconveniently located in a public area of the house, tied to the wall, and you would call the person's number, so I'd pick up the phone, I'd dial the girl's number, and the deep voice of a man picks up the phone. That's not who I'm calling, um, but it, it's, it's her dad. And so before cell phones, if you were going to call a girl, you usually had to go through her dad, or her mom, if you were unlucky enough to have them to to pick up the phone. And so uh, countless times in middle school, when I was probably too young to be calling girls anyways, I would pick up the phone, I would dial the number, I would hear mom or dad's voice, and what would I do? Hang up the phone. (laughs) You'd hang up the phone. You can't try again too soon, otherwise they know that you were the one who hung up hung up the phone, and so it's complicated. How much time do I have to wait? Finally, finally, I, I would muster up the courage to ask in broken English with a cracked voice if I could speak to the, the person I was, I was calling. And So maybe it was a pressure-filled moment like that, or, or maybe words failed you in a, a happy moment. I still remember the moment when, when Kaylee told me that we were going to have our first child, when I found out that I was going to be a dad, I was in our bathroom upstairs in our, our house, which was in the near south at the time, and I, I just sat down on the floor in our closet, and I just sat there in silence. With a, a a terrified smile on my face, eventually, mustered some words to to pray to God and to to thank Him and to ask for His help. But but words just completely and utterly failed me in, in that moment. And so maybe words have failed you in a, a big happy moment, or or maybe it was a a sad and grief filled moment. I I, I remember the day my, my grandpa passed away, the, the the best, greatest, strongest man I've ever known. And I, I got the call from my mom and her siblings. And they invited me to come into his room with them. And they asked me to pray. To pray for the the family. And I, I remember walking in, I remember seeing his body and the faces of my family. Look, I, I know I managed to say something that day. I know I, I prayed something that day, but I also know that I left feeling kind of unsatisfied with the prayer I just prayed, right? Because my, my words, it, it seemed like my words fell completely flat. They, they failed me. And if, if you know me, you know that I have a lot of words, right? But they they failed me in that moment. I wasn't able to capture and to articulate the moment and and my own needs in the moment, the needs of my family in the moment. And so I wonder, have you ever had a moment like this, a moment like one of these, a a pressure-filled moment, a moment that's full of of happiness and joy, or maybe a, a sad moment, a moment in which words fell flat, words failed you, if so, and, I, and I, I expect that we all have, then our passage this morning promises some beautiful help and hope for you. Before we dive in, though, I, I do want to zoom out a little bit from our verses today and capture a little bit of the surrounding context. And so if, if you haven't already, go and open up, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you remember a, a number of weeks ago, verses 16 and 17, we read that, that Paul tells the Rome, told the Romans that the Spirit bears witness, the Spirit bears witness that they are children of God. And he says not only children, but as children, they are heirs of God, and not only children and heirs of God, but fellow heirs with Christ. He tells him, and in other words, in Christ, the Romans have been adopted as children of God. And as as is often the case with children, they are now promised to receive a family inheritance. But then he adds, he adds this: provided we suffer with him, that is, with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also. Be glorified with him. So then, as as heirs with Christ, they will one day receive their inheritance and be glorified with him. Their, Their inheritance is glory. But the day for them to receive their inheritance. Has not yet come. You see, the Romans find themselves standing between the already on the one hand and the not yet on the other. You see, they are already justified by faith. They've already been set free from the law of sin and death. They're already indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They've already been adopted as children of God. They've already been made fellow heirs with Christ by way of their union with Him. And still, They've not yet fully realized their inheritance as theirs. You see, as as children, it's already as good as theirs. There's no doubt that it's coming their way. But they don't yet have possession of it. And so they wait. And Paul is clear here about what the waiting consists of. You see, for the Christian, the road to glory, the road to our inheritance is marked with suffering. This was true for Jesus. And it's true for the Romans. And look, two pillars, as we sit here this morning While we are separated from the Roman Christians that Paul writes to here by centuries, we're still traveling the same road that they were. We're still traveling this same exact road as we wait. And the tension between the already and the not yet. We too, through faith in Jesus, have already been adopted as children of God. We too are now heirs with Christ. And one day, we too, with the Roman Christians, we will receive our inheritance and be glorified with Christ. But for us, much like the Romans, the day hasn't yet come. And so we are, also, we're living in this tension between the already and the not yet. We too are traveling the same road to glory, that same road which is marked with suffering. Suffering that comes from living in a world stained and marred by sin. Suffering that comes as a consequence of indwelling sin in, in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. Suffering that comes from bodies that break down and are susceptible to death and disease. While all of these things are true, I think that a type of suffering that Paul has in mind in particular here is, is suffering as those who belong to Jesus in a world that is hostile to Jesus. Suffering as as those who are citizens of the kingdom of God in a world that rejects the rule and authority and reign of the king. We all experience the suffering differently, but Paul is clear. All roads to glory with Christ lead us through suffering with Christ. Let me say that again. All roads to glory with Christ lead us through suffering with Christ. That then leads us into verses 18 to 25, where Paul reminds us that the sufferings that we experience on this road aren't even worth comparing to the glory that is to to be revealed to us. That is, the, the greatness of this future glory will completely eclipse the experience of present suffering. And then he gives the Romans and us something to to hold on to, something to to cling to as they navigate and as we navigate present suffering. What does Paul give them? What does Paul give us? He gives us hope. And their hope is in this. For Christians, suffering doesn't get the final word. Even as Christians in creation... Groan under the weight of suffering and futility. Their groans are groans in the pain of childbirth. The pain of childbirth isn't 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 hopeless. The groans of, of childbirth aren't futile groans. The pain of of childbirth, the groans of childbirth aren't groans for the pain of suffering merely to cease. What is significant about the groans of a pain what, what is significant about the groans and pains of childbirth is that they carry with them a promise, don't they? Even an, an expectation, not just for relief, but for something better, that they carry with them the hope for, for new life. And so likewise that the groaning of the waiting and suffering that the Christian experiences is, is filled with an eager expectation and anticipation. They they carry with them a promise, the hope of glory and an inheritance received. You see the, the road marked with suffering is a painful road to travel, but it, it isn't a, a road that leads to nowhere. The, the path of suffering isn't to dead end. Rather, it's a road that's leading us somewhere, and that somewhere that it's leading us to is, is glory. And this is the hope of, of the suffering Christian. And Paul tells us this hope sustains us and helps us to endure with eagerness and patience and steadfastness with what one commentator called patient fortitude. Patient fortitude. Paul says this in verse 25, But if we wait for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patient Fortitude. Now that brings us to the first word of our passage this morning, which is the word likewise. Likewise. This this word likewise is significant because it's connecting our passage today with something that came beforehand. And I think the thing that it's connecting us to beforehand is, is the hope that Paul gives us in the previous passage. In, in the same way you see that, that hope sustains the waiting and suffering Christian, the, the Spirit likewise helps the waiting and suffering Christian. More specifically, Paul tells us this, that the Spirit helps us in our suffering, sharing in our groaning and interceding for us. That's the main idea of our passage of these two verses today. The Spirit helps us in our suffering, sharing in our groaning, and interceding for us. So what I want to do then with the rest of our time this morning is, is ask two questions about the Spirit's help in our suffering and our weakness. Two questions I want us to ask. Number one, why does He help? Why does the Spirit help us? Why are we in need of the Spirit's help? That's question number one. Question number two, then, is this. How does the Spirit help? How does he help us? What kind of help does he provide, and in what manner does he provide it? So two questions. Why does he help? How does he help? Give me a quick minute here is strange. I have half of my notes and the other half of my notes aren't here. It, it will be a very short sermon. Like I said before, I have lots of words. So uh, we can we can make do if necessary. They just won't be quite as articulate. All right. Sorry about that, y'all. So, two questions. Why does he help how does he help us? Uh, Let's focus then in on on that first question. Why does he help us? Now now we get two answers to this first question. Why does he help us? We get two answers to this first question in, in the first of our two verses. In verse 26, here's what the verse says one more time. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so why does the Spirit help us? Well, firstly, He helps us because of our weakness. He helps us because of our weakness. We are weak. There there is a a general sense in which you and I, as we navigate the tension, this tension between the already and the not yet, as we travel the road to glory, we're, we're weak. When we suffer, we're our, our weakness is laid bare in a sense, isn't it? As we wait, as, as we suffer, we're, we're reminded that we're finite. We're limited. We're limited in time and, and energy. We're, we're limited in our perspective and the suffering that we are enduring. We're, we're weak. We have insecurities and insufficiencies. We're, we're weak. We're, we're, we're fallible. We're While we're no longer slaves to sin, we we still struggle with the very real reality of indwelling sin. And so we're still prone to wander from the Lord, prone to stray from His promises. We're we're tempted to set our trust and our hope on people and things around us instead of setting our hope on the one true God who promises to be our help. Our, Our minds and our bodies are weak. They break down with age. They're susceptible to to disease and sickness and chronic conditions. And as we've already said, along with all of this, we're pilgrims on a journey that is marked with suffering. And so we're weak in our suffering. And so when we're suffering the grief of loss, we, we have this deep, Emotion-filled experience of, of our own weakness, when we suffer from persecution. we experience our, our weakness, when we suffer trauma, or bodily suffering, or if we're suffering from emotional turmoil or mental illness, relational brokenness. Think about it. All of these things highlight our fallenness, our weakness and our, our vulnerability. One commentator describes this weakness more broadly as what he calls the totality of the human condition. The totality of the human condition is, is weakness in a sense. He says this is uh, the, the, the creatureliness that characterizes the Christian. And the result of this weakness is made very clear for us. You see that Paul now gives us a second reason that the Spirit helps us. The first reason, remember, was our weakness. The second reason that the Spirit helps us is this, because we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for, or as Paul puts it, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. In her book, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts, Great book by Nancy Guthrie. Uh, She has a a chapter on typical things that Christians say that are unhelpful and more helpful alternatives. So uh, help in in, in terms of what to say and what not to say to someone who is grieving. One One of those things that she says that people say that isn't very helpful is this. Hey, just call me if you need something. Just call me if if you need something. Have you ever said this to someone who's grieving or suffering in some way? Don't be embarrassed. We've all all done it. We've all asked that question or we've all made that statement. Maybe someone close to them has passed away. Maybe they're in the hospital or a loved one is in the hospital. Maybe their marriage is in critical condition or one of their children they found out has just walked away from the faith. You could come up with a lot of different scenarios. But, but in these situations, when, some of us, when someone around us is suffering in this way, we want to be helpful. And so we ask the question, hey, is there anything you need? Is there anything that I, I can help you with? Hey, just call me if you need anything. Guthrie says this, grieving people are not going to call you if they need something. They need for you to figure out what they need and just show up and take care of it. Later, she captures a testimonial from someone named Todd from Coppell, Texas. And Todd said this about his experience of grief. He said, if you ask me what I need, and I say nothing or I don't know, that is probably truthful and full of lies at the exact same time. Not because I want to lie to you, but I honestly have a hard time processing that question. Now, my my point in sharing this from Guthrie's book isn't to give you like tips and tricks on, on how to interact with a brother or sister who is grieving, but rather to illustrate this. In the midst of suffering, we don't even know what to ask for from the members of our gospel community. We don't even know what to ask for from the limited, finite, tangible community of believers around us, from from our family. It makes sense then that in the midst of suffering, we don't know what to pray for as we ought either. What should the content of our prayers be? Should I ask questions? If so, what should those questions be? Should I I make a a request? What What is my request in this moment? Should I be honest about my frustrations in the midst of sorrow and suffering, in the midst of my weakness? What about my doubts? Should I, in my prayer, should I rehearse the the truths of the gospel? If so, which ones? Am I praying according to God's will now, or am I praying according to my own will? How much overlap is there between the two, if any at all? What, What if my prayer is distracted, incoherent? what if it's incomplete? What if my heart's not in it? What if I'm just going through the motions, just saying the words? One Theologian Sinclair Ferguson summarizes this all for us in this way. He says, here the believer is portrayed as subject to such weakness that coherent petition is impossible. This is a portrayal of the absolute and total weakness of the believer, a weakness too weak to express his or her need coherently. Brothers and sisters, this this is why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Because of of our weakness, our our weakness that, that renders us unable to express our needs to God coherently. Why does, this, why does the Spirit help us? Because we're weak, and therefore, we don't know what to pray for. Well, that then brings us to our second question about the Spirit's help in our weakness. How does the Spirit help us? How does the Spirit help us? At this point, it makes sense for us to, to zoom out one more time and look at the surrounding context. See, there, there's some parallels in this passage and the surrounding context. Context that, that we need to pay attention to. So in verses 18 through 27, uh, focus in on those once again. We, we see three main subjects. Three main subjects. We, we see creation acting. We see us acting. We, us. And thirdly, we see the Holy Spirit acting. First of all, creation. In, in verse 22, what do we see the creation doing? Talk, talk talked about this over the past few weeks. We see that the creation is we see the creation is, is groaning. Groaning. And then in verses 19 through 21, we see the, the creation doing something else. We see creation waiting in hope. Waiting in hope. Secondly, us, verse 23 says that we too groan. Along with creation, we groan in Inwardly, And then in verses 23 to 25, along with creation, not only do we groan, but we also wait. And not just any old waiting, but we wait in hope. That then brings us to the third subject, the, the Spirit in our passage today. What do we see about the Spirit? Well, in verse 26, we read that the Spirit groans. But this is where the parallels end. Because while the Spirit does groan, much like creation, much like the Christian, we don't read anything about Him waiting. We don't read anything about the Spirit hoping. Instead, we read that the Spirit intercedes for us. Now, to intercede is to plead on behalf of another person. It's it's to plead another person's cause. It's to plead another person's case. And so the Holy Spirit helps us by pleading our case to the Father through prayer. And we see that it's, it's with groanings that the Spirit intercedes for us. Paul writes again, verse 26, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What I think this phrase, too deep for words, means here is that the Spirit's groanings are unspoken groanings. They aren't verbally articulated groanings. And so as as we groan on that path to glory, that path marked with suffering, the Spirit, hear this, the Spirit shares in your groaning. The Spirit groans your groans. In our weakness, while we struggle to put our groanings and our needs into words to the Father, The Spirit intercedes on our behalf, articulating our groaning and our needs perfectly, listen to this, without using words at all, without using words at all. You see, when when words fail, the Spirit that lives inside of you, Christian, the Spirit helps you. He articulates your needs. He articulates your groaning. And look, there's no moment that's too big. There's no moment too chaotic or too pressure-filled or too sad or too tragic or too overwhelming for him to prevent him from groaning and, and groaning perfectly. The, the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you, he, he knows you. He knows your heart's. He knows your groans. He knows your needs. And he takes them to the Father in perfect prayers of intercession for you. Because not only does the the Spirit have perfect knowledge of you, but he also has perfect knowledge of the Father. Now, before I get on to that point, here's a a quick caveat I want to make here. Look, this this passage is, isn't giving us license to pray less. I just want to be careful to, to, to say that. This, this, this passage isn't giving us license to pray fewer prayers. What this passage is, is giving us permission to do is to pray imperfect prayers, knowing that the Spirit who lives in us is our helper, that he shares in our groanings and intercedes perfectly on our behalf because he he has perfect knowledge of us, right? And also perfect knowledge of the Father. Take a look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? According to the will of God. Romans 8, I encourage you when you leave here today, when you go back home, read Romans 8 again. We're, 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 we're slow rolling this as we, we work carefully through Romans 8. Pay attention to how beautifully Trinitarian Romans 8 is. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together in this perfect unity, this, this perfect harmony. And We get a taste of that here in verse 27, which captures a beautiful unity and harmony that exists between God the Father and God the Spirit. See, he who searches hearts, he who searches the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit that lives in his people also knows the mind of the Spirit. You see, God searches the hearts of of you and, and me, and he also knows the mind of the Spirit that dwells there. Father knows the mind of the Spirit, so as the, the Spirit intercedes for us, sharing in our groaning and articulating needs perfectly, yet without words. The Father knows and, and hears, so to speak, what the Spirit is saying, what the Spirit is, is groaning. The Father knows and hears the Spirit's interceding prayer. But that's not all. We're also told here that the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. And this is important. This is important because there's there's a difference between praying according to the will of God and praying uh, not according to the will of God. Uh, John writes that in in his first letter. And we, we read there that if we pray according to the will of God, then He hears us and we will have what we ask. You see, it's, it's one thing to pray out to God, to, to, to call out to God, and to know that He hears us, but, but will, he, will He answer us? Am, am I even asking the right things? Am I, am I praying according to His will? Well, we see that the, the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. That's because, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 2, listen to this, he says the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit searches everything, searches you, the Spirit searches me, but the Spirit also, He, he searches the, the very depths of God. So two pillars, that the Spirit helps us, the Spirit helps us in our suffering, sharing in our groaning and interceding for us and not only does the spirit's intercession capture our groans and our needs perfectly but it, it's it's also understood perfectly by the father not a single word of it is lost in translation and it's also prayed in perfect accordance with the Father's will. So then, two pillars. If you've been united together with Christ by faith, then you're a child of God. And if a child, then an heir. And if an heir, then you're a I- fellow heir with Christ. Brothers and sisters, you and I are destined for glory. Glory. And yet still, we, we wait. We, we, we wait in a tragic world, hamstrung by our own weakness, as we travel the road to glory, which is unavoidably marked with suffering. But the hope that we have here, in verses 26 and 27, the hope that we have in in the preceding verses as well. Is that we, we wait with eager expectation. We wait with patient fortitude, sustained first and foremost by the hope that is ours in Christ. But also sustained and helped by the interceding prayers of the helper. The Holy Spirit of God who helps us in our weakness, who helps us in our suffering, who shares in your groaning and makes perfect intercessory petition to the Father on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, every now and again, I come across a passage, and I'm I'm looking for the what then, the what next. What practical thing do I I take from this passage that I I can put into action tomorrow, today? And I I love when I arrive at a passage like this, because I, I, I think our practical takeaway is to know, Lord, that you are our sustaining grace. And that it's, it's not our own prayers that sustain us in the midst of suffering, on the, on the path of, of, of suffering as we wait for our inheritance. So we, we don't have to leave here today and to muster better, more perfect prayers. Lord, we can leave here today praying our imperfect prayers, knowing that your spirit that lives inside of us is interceding on our behalf at the same time, perfectly capturing that which we can't capture, not bound to the language that, that we fumble with as we attempt to articulate our needs to you. And he does so in perfect accordance with your word, with your will. And so, Father, help us to rest in that. Help us to trust in that. Would would the hope that is ours in the interceding presence of your spirit, would it bolster us, fortify us, build us up for the journey that is ahead as we walk this path, filled with suffering on our journey to glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.